Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Meet, Act, and Part. And we're your hosts. I'm Greg Knott. I'm Darren Laners. And I'm Bill Hostler. And I'm Todd Creason. And we are excited to have you all join us again on this podcast adventure we put together. And tonight we have a very special guest, but he's also a very good friend of all of us. And he is the editor-in-chief of the Midnight Freemasons blog and I think one of the pioneers in Masonic social media, and that is our good friend and brother, Robert Johnson. Robert, welcome. Hey, thanks so much for uh, having me on the on the show. This is uh, a, an incredible honor considering uh, I'm among so many guys that uh, really, I mean, you guys started the Midnight Freemasons. <laughs> uh, I, just, uh, I just try to keep it going and, and keeping it fresh. So thanks so much. This is great. Well, what we thought we'd do tonight is talk, you know, your Masonic bios all over the place. So we, we won't get too deep into that, but I'm, you know, you have been a big influence for me to keep motivated in masonry. And, you know, when I, 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 I listened to all your podcasts, I, I listened to the Masonic Roundtable. You know, it was funny when we used to have scouts, you, I think you were on Tuesday nights and we'd have scouts. And I, my son, when he was young, he'd always say, oh, dad, you're going to go in there and listen to those guys again, aren't you? After we got home from his meeting. And I said, you bet I am. And so, you know, one <laughs> of the things we were kicking around before you even got on here was how do you sustain the energy to do 50 podcasts of Whence Came You and most of the episodes of Masonic Roundtable, you have consistently done and made sure we have a 150 articles or so every year on the midnight Freemasons. All of us have been uh, with you on some of the other little side projects like Masonic radio and, and some of those things, but where do you find the energy and the drive to keep going? Man, I, I didn't really think about all of that stuff in the way you just put it. <laughs> I think the energy is still that I'm just excited about Freemasonry, like all the time. When I first joined, I there was a Todd's written about this a lot, and I think it it's a really big part of it. And it, it's the fact that as a younger Freemason, not younger man, but like as a younger Freemason, I came in and I was really enthusiastic about Freemasonry. And then also, I was born in 1981, and the first time. I got a computer. My mom said, don't take it apart. And I really wanted to play this game, Chuck Yeager's Air Combat. And I needed a remote control to do it. I needed like a game controller. And uh, so I went to a place called Electronics Boutique. So hats off to anybody who remembers those joints. And uh, I bought a game card. And I had a dream on how to install it. A dream. And I opened up my computer and it looked exactly like the dream. And I plugged it in and it worked. And so... I've always been a communications person. I've always been into just going for it and just doing it. And then so the electronics world, there's like a giant vacuum in Freemasonry and we weren't doing a whole lot. And that's kind of an issue for many people. It's not just millennials. It's not just Gen Xers. It's not boomers. You know, it's just people in general gravitate toward technology to make lives easier and communicate. And there was a big vacuum there. And uh, as Todd's pointed out, give them a job. And we'll do it. And my lodge gave me a job and I was like, oh, neat. 
And I just went for it. The energy just comes from just always being excited and, and continuing to read what people in uh, the fraternity are doing now. Like when I read Todd's blog or when I read something from the millennial Freemason, Nick Johnson out in, uh, in Minnesota, he's not real active anymore, but all these people consistently are putting things out. And maybe they're not consistent, but they've created content that sits there and then I discover it and then I get energized by it all the time, right? So it's just this big feeding frenzy of, of influence and energy that it just kind of tap into. Yeah, just staying excited about it all the time. And I mean, how many times do you go out, right? And, and you go to a lodge and you feel better? Maybe maybe without Freemasonry, I'm kind of boring. <laughs> so maybe this is something that I just dig into because it, you feed off of the positive energy, I guess. Robert, I was so stoked about having you on the program tonight. I've been looking forward to this all week. I wanted to tell you that you came along in my life about the time I needed some energy. You know, when my energy was beginning to flag on the Midnight Freemasons is about the time that I ran into you. And your enthusiasm not only re-motivated me, but dragged a bunch of these other guys into into it again as well. So that's to be commended. But what I wanted you to talk about a little bit is where, where'd you get the idea for the Whence Came You podcast? And where do you get all that material from? I came up with Whence Came You as, again, as, as kind of a, a tech junkie. You know, my grandfather was never the kind of guy who let his VCR blink 12 a.m. He was always on the forefront of technology. He always had to have a computer. He always had this stuff. And I grew up with my grandfather in the house. So I was always real techie. I'm a, I'm a, uh, an early adopter, what they, what they say. Uh, you know, I had, uh, I had mini disc, even though six months after it came out, MP3s came out and killed the Sony mini disc. Uh, so as an early adopter, I was really into technology. I went looking for Freemasonry on the internet. I said, well, I know there's so much stuff that we're not supposed to talk about, but what we can talk about, where do I, there's got to be something to consume. And I had a lot of like alone time at my job because I worked uh, at an airport. I was an OSHA specialist and I would just be listening to podcasts all the time. And I said, well, is there one on Freemasonry? And it turns out there were a few, but they were dead. Like they come out and then they have a certain number of episodes or it falls off after a period of time. So you're left with uh, syndicated radio. So I came across this one. It was called The Digital Freemason and it was a guy named Scott Blaskin. And he is for all uh, the world to know. Uh, yes, there were probably people doing Masonic podcasts. Somebody may have done it before him, but he was the first guy to create a consistent show that he read short Masonic research papers, um, not much commentary on it, but he was just really cool, had a great voice, and he's still out there and he still main, he still keeps all of those episodes up. He just doesn't do it anymore. And he's the kind of guy who inspired me. I, I listened to his show and then I sent him an email and I said, Scott, I don't know if you're ever going to get this, but I want to do a podcast similar to yours, but in no way step on your toes. I just want to read some probably longer papers because his whole thing was short Masonic papers. Each episode was 10, 15 minutes. And then I would do, I did one episode and uh, just a few, I don't know, maybe a few weeks later, maybe a month or two after I started, Scott had put up on his blog, like, it's been great. And um, I, I was always like, 
oh my gosh, did he get mad at me and quit or something? And, and years later, we connected. And no, it was just he was he felt like there had been some significant advances in technology and people were out there doing similar things. And he was like, great. Uh, I've passed the baton kind of thing, you know, maybe not to me, but to, to other folks. So as far as source material, that gets tricky. Of course, at the Midnight Freemasons, we always have this kind of share what you want as long as you attribute it back to the original author. And not every publication is that cool and that open. So on occasion, I will read from publications that are really, really old uh, because there's no copyright or there's no copyright holder, or you read from something that isn't quote-unquote owned and controlled. For instance, Manly P. Hall has a magazine called The All-Seeing Eye that was never sold. It says right on the cover, not for sale. It's just given. So in accordance with his wish, I mean, you can read that. You could reprint them. You could hand them out as long as you're not charging for them. And uh, just things like that. Uh, Lots of huge repositories. There's, of course, uh, the Masonic Philosophical Society, there's you know a million blogs out there. And so I'll just write the owner of a blog and say, hey, can I read this piece? One of the things I'm working on right now is trying to get uh, permission to read two articles, one from the LA Times right after Manly P. Hall died. And because I wanted to do an episode on Manly P. Hall, actually. And uh, the other one is from Variety Magazine. And, and they published something on Manly P. Hall several years after he died. And I've been going back and forth trying to get the okay to read those on the air. But generally, they're really cool. Like, I read something from uh, ancient ancienttimes.net or something. He's got a whole magazine. And he was like, he, he had to send me this big paragraph that said, I so-and-so give Robert Johnson permission to read this on his show this one time and yada, yada. It's really legal. But for the most part, you know, we're going out and we're just asking people if there's a blog and say, hey. You know, we'd love to read this. I did get I, I did get my hand slapped uh, one time. I think I read a piece from uh, uh, the Plum Line, and the episode went live. And the next morning, I got I had emailed them asking for permission, and I got nothing. And then after it went live, then they called me up and they said, "Hey, you can't do that." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, I'll take it down." So I did, and I had to re-record something real fast. But I always try to do my due diligence to to put it out there with with just the caveat that this is like a a philanthropic endeavor, right? Like Freemasonry education. And we want to assist people in getting, we don't want to be all their fulfillment, but you want to give them something when they don't have anything to do or they're looking for a little something extra. So hopefully that that's, you know, where we get most of the content. Bill? The, the one thing about Wednesday came you I like is it's never the same. You've really done all different kinds of things. I mean, Fratero, you've had him on and doing things. One week, he'll be talking about esotericism. The next week, it's about Masonic history. I can remember that one time there was a, well, we did an, an old radio show, you know, where it had, um, what was that? Was that, the Wince, was that a Wince Came You episode? Was that the name of that radio show? Do you remember back years ago? Yeah, that was, uh, gosh, there was a it was it was actually an episode called Whence Came You, and it was an old radio program produced out of New York City. Uh, the guy who wrote it was an old radio play, and I think we split it up into three episodes. And it was this great story about a guy who went to Egypt as a reporter and meets a beautiful, stunning woman, and she's real mysterious. 
and she's in the background, but he keeps making eye contact or first, you know, in the lobby of the hotel, then, you know, he's at a restaurant or then he's at the market and he keeps seeing her. And then finally he goes out to a dig site and uh, they discover a tomb and it's Cleopatra's tomb. And there's this, there's this portrait on the wall and he looks at it and it's her. You know, it's this, it's this really, really cool, just old time radio thing. And, and that kind of spawned the whole idea for Masonic Radio Theater, which, uh, you and I, Bill, worked on for, gosh, probably a year and a half. It's tough because we can either never come up with the time, the people, or the, the stories to do them. But, you know, you've done so much and so varied content on that show over the last, what, six, seven years now? Do you have anything that you'd like to do in the future that you haven't tried with them, um, with Whence Came You? Or is there anything that you have plans in the future to do that you'd like to try? Or what do you think is the, the future for the for your podcast? So the podcast, you know, the first couple of years that we did it was all out of pocket. So I was paying all this money to for web hosting for the website. And, you know, as a Freemason, you know, there's no funding for anything. So it's easier to do something for really cheap than it is to uh, wait month to month for reimbursements because that's, that's how we operate, right? Uh, so I was like, you know, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I, if I can do it for free, I'll do it. But of course, um, there's no real great way to do it for free. So what we did was I said, well, I'm going to do the best job I can do with the funding that I have. And so I was able to always kick in some money and make it happen. And then we opened it up for people to be able to donate to the show. And it's not like, um, like, of course... I pay taxes on all that money that comes in, but really all that money that comes in is just reinvested in the show. So the more people donate to the program, we can expand content. Like I can have longer episodes. I can afford to pay for license free music. Something that like the first people ask all the time, like you're, you're, you're not on Spotify. Why aren't you on Spotify? Well, the reason I'm not on Spotify is because I can't be on it. Uh, the first 50 or so episodes have some music issues where I need to basically cut the entire intro outro out of the program and put a new one in because the music is not license free. So those episodes while up on YouTube are blocked in some countries and and things like that. So there's all these legals that go into it. But to answer your question, like what's in the future for the, for whence came you, it's, it's basically just, I want to make it the best podcast it can be using every dollar that comes in for it and investing it into the program so that the people who produce the program and myself also, you know, I put money in there too. It becomes premier podcast that it could be, you know, like imagine in 10 more years, if we're still doing this, this is Bill, you wrote, people probably don't even know this, but Bill wrote an entire uh, uh, Masonic TV channel on Roku, right? Like, it was the coolest thing it, it, all day long with syndicated different things. But like the dream, what if, what if there was a, a, a Masonic channel that was streaming all the time? People are so fascinated by this uh, Netflix series, Tiger King now, right? And this guy blows up on the internet as a, a YouTube star. He's got a, a show that happens several times a day and people follow and all this stuff. What happened if we, a niche community like Tigers... Like there's probably more people I think that might there's probably more masons that might tune into something maybe uh maybe it's not as wide and varied as say wildlife and conservation and tigers and things but there's nothing to stop us from doing something like that the fraternity I'm not saying it should go that far but I think that there's there's room to continually grow into a medium that you could tune into whatever you want but maybe 
maybe podcasting is where where it will continue to live. There's so many now. I think the the Rocky Mountain Mason even just launched their first episode of a podcast, which is totally fantastic. I, I loved it. I didn't know Ben Williams had an accent until just two days ago. <laughs> The one thing about no, Tiger King, I mean, it, it, it was filmed like 15 miles from here, so I knew it was going to be a train wreck as soon as I heard about it. If you think about it, what was it, about two, three years ago, Channel 4 in England made that documentary, The Freemasons, about English Freemasonry. Look how the Masonic community went back crap over that. People that watch that Roku channel loved it. It's just that I tried to put out, you know, I even put a GoFundMe and, you know, it... I never, I got, didn't get a single dollar for it, and I just, there was no way I could afford to do that on my own. I never have given up on that completely, but that would be great for the future. And who knows? Who, maybe we'll just make Masonic King. We'll, you know, make it you know, some kind of thing with tigers. Maybe we'll get it in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Masonic King would be, would be absolutely fantastic. I, I laughed, you know, because. You talked about that Freemason show uh, that happened, the Freemasons that was over in in United Grand Lodge of England, and that got such mixed reviews here in the states, but largely uh, people really enjoyed it, and I think people respond really well when some sort of really well done content comes forward. Uh, for instance, there was the Freemasonry around the world, uh, Terra Masonica which was a really lengthy documentary film. People loved that. And then uh, you've got this new guy, Johnny Royal. We had him on Whence Came You a few, uh, probably a year ago now, to talk about his first documentary, uh, which was The Royal Art of Freemasonry. And then uh, he did the movie about uh, the Bavarian Illuminati, which was with uh, Joe Wages, and that's called Illuminated. And what's fascinating is they had such great production value and that's half the battle. And now what we're seeing is like areas of Freemasonry where there is money to be spent on things like uh, PR and uh, film and all of these things. They're seeing that when you spend the money, it creates, uh, uh, it, 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 you're investing in your future, right? And then the return on your investment is a re-engagement of your constituency. So for instance, we've seen such great things right now coming out of, say, the northern jurisdiction of the Scottish Rite, not only from their ad campaigns, not just a man, but the creation of a website. I mean, the Midnight Freemasons for years had a had a thing on our website said how to become a Freemason. Well, we just redirected that page now to go to uh, beafreemason.org because it's literally a, a better option than you know sending it to us and then we're reaching out to Grand Lodges and connecting them. But when the Northern Jurisdiction is out there now spending money and they're doing ads and they're putting their, they're doing live webcasts and they're meeting Freemasons where they're spending their time, which is a lot of time, you know, electronically or you know sitting in front of a screen. It just makes sense. And if you spend the money, the audience is there. We've seen it with the Freemasons documentary, the movies that have been made. It's just, it's great in my opinion. And Robert, I think you bring up a point I was going to ask you and or reflect on. To me, you're not scared to try things. We're in a fraternity that's historically very conservative. I don't mean politically conservative necessarily, but we've always done it that way. So we don't try new things. I have seen you help lead the revolution, for lack of a better word, of 
the things, some of the things you just listed off. I, I think what always impresses me about you is it's never about you. It's always about the craft. You've put in the the yeoman's work to do a lot of these projects. I mean, I know that you do them, but I, I never get the feeling that it's about you. And, you know, Darren and I came out to Alexandria and attended the 300th celebration of Freemasonry. And it, it was awesome. And, you know, you guys took a big risk, probably fiscally and certainly uh, personally by putting that on. And it was just hugely successful. And you you filled a void where Grand Lodges weren't stepping in that space. And I think all these things help leverage the momentum in a in a new way that's going to reform the fraternity in ways that I don't even know if we can fully envision yet. I gave up a long time ago on worrying about numbers. You do need enough members, of course, to have a nucleus. But And John Rurik's done all his great work on the study of the numbers. I guess I look more to the future, even maybe beyond my life expectancy in it and say, we're going to be a completely different organization in, in 10 years. We're, we're a different organization than we are 11, 10 years ago when I came in. I think it's exciting. And I think some of the things you're doing are exciting. And I just want to applaud you for it. The, I still think about that 300th event and, and how in the world you guys pulled that off is just remarkable in my view. Thank you so much. That it really does mean a lot, Greg. The the three hundred thing was so interesting because uh, it's just like with anything in in our regular life. It, we we tend to have this like line in the sand that says this is this is how we operate in this box, and this is how we operate in the Freemason box. And and so many of the tools and things that, that we have in regular life, we seem to not have in the Freemasons box. And it's not for lack of we don't have them. It's like this perception that we're not allowed to use them. And we're not allowed to use them because we are administratively heavy. And uh, there may be somebody who doesn't like the, you know, somebody doesn't like Zoom. So they're going to say, you can't use Zoom anymore. <laughs> but I think with, with in terms of like 300, that celebration that we held, we said to ourselves, hey, Let's let's do something, you guys, and 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 what can we do? And John and Jason um, from the Masonic Roundtable did um, a ton of work to because we held it out in their neck of the woods to uh, to secure a location, and and we had we actually met with the House of the Temple, uh, and we met with the uh, the George Washington National Masonic Memorial, and we said, hey, this is what we want to do, and they. The, the memorial said, this is great. And uh, no disrespect to the House of the Temple, we just didn't get anything back. Nobody nobody talked to us about it until it was too late. And thank, thank goodness we didn't do it at the House of the Temple, actually, because it was hot as heck, and they have no air conditioning. Uh, so we, we ended up doing it at uh, the National Masonic Memorial. And the... Uh, the money was was an issue, right? I mean, we literally rented out a national memorial for a private event. And what we did was we worked with the National Masonic Memorial and they gave us a really good rate since it's a Masonic thing. And we made sure that we said you should have your your bookstore open because people are going to buy stuff there, and they did. And you know, at, at the end of the day, the Masonic Memorial was uh, Mark Tabert and uh, Sean Iyer both over there. Both were incredible partners to have and to help us put it all together. But it was so funny because 
while we kind of organized the event, organized, everybody who was working was people who came. Like we had people who showed up early bringing equipment in for us. And we're setting up all the AV. Everybody was working. It was a celebration for Freemasonry while like the Masonic Roundtable guys put this thing together. Every all the attendees came and we all worked together as is a as a cohesive force to put something on. And um, you know, when at the end of the night when it was like a you know, when we toasted, it's it was a toast to everybody in that room because everybody the attendees, everybody paid money to come here, including us, and we all chipped in to make that happen. So it's a big group effort. I, I talked in the beginning, right, like about this shared energy. People feed off of the excitement, and that's just what happened. And it was a lot of fun to do. Robert, uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, Chicago Masonic Con that's coming up in September. Woo! Uh, <laughs> that's going to be another one. Uh, so... The Masonic Con Chicago uh, was an idea. I kept seeing all of these posts. We know when we would share that uh, Esoteric Con in Virginia was coming up, or Masonic Con in Attleboro, Massachusetts was coming up, and people said, "When are we going to get it out here?" And I kept talking to some folks, and I, I finally said, "Well, it's going to happen in our area when when you do it. It doesn't take much. You know, it's a lot of planning and it's a little bit of stress, but let's be honest." Uh, it'll happen just from you deciding it's going to happen. And nobody was picking up that baton. I just kept seeing that same message. When's it coming? And so what we ended up doing was uh, I do this thing where if something is pretty much like 80% planned in my head, it's 100% done. So I I slapped down a, a yellow legal pad and I wrote down a bunch of web addresses and I said, who can I get to come to this thing? And I think I launched the website and I wrote emails to everybody I needed to come and, and talk at this thing in 24 hours and uh, told everybody it was going to happen. And so that's going to happen. <laughs> uh, I, I worked with the, the temple board at my local lodge to, to rent the lodge from the Temple Corporation. And that'll be up in Libertyville, Illinois. And that kept uh, any issues administratively because we're going to be open to the public. It is privately funded through WCY Media, which is my legal entity, so we don't have to deal with red tape, right? There's no tiled presentations, but uh, we'll have some great Masons coming out. Uh, You know you're going to have Todd Creason. Todd, you're going to be there, hopefully. And uh, we've got uh, 10 other speakers also who will be there. Over the course of three days, it's a three-day event, so Friday night will be a uh, uh, dinner together. Then we'll have uh, all day presentations on Saturday, starting at eight in the morning, go until about five. We'll break for dinner. We'll, people can go out. There's 63 restaurants in Libertyville, Illinois, so people can go out, get something to eat, come back, and uh, then we'll have a, a screening of a movie uh, that that evening and uh, stay up late talking about it with some panel guys and uh, then start again next morning, probably eight, nine o'clock and go till about noon, close out the session. But uh, it's hopefully going to be really good. But I I, I do have to address the the pandemic that's going on because I I got a few emails and they said, you know, with this pandemic going on, Attleboro Masonicon is is, uh, rescheduled to end of August. What are the plans for uh, September in uh, Masonicon, Chicago? 
And my response uh, that I wrote in several emails, and I guess I'll say it here, is that uh, at this time, we we have no plans on uh, canceling or rescheduling or pushing out that particular convention. If it comes down to what we think is probably likely, maybe there'll be you know, we'll of course have hand sanitizing and, and those things all over the place because that'll probably still be a thing. We want people to kind of, I, I can't, I can't guarantee that, you know, everything's going to be cleared up by them. But if, if, if they say we can't have the event because of this, we're still under lock and key orders. So in the event that we have to do that, then we will end up keeping those same dates and we're going to have to move to a uh, web-based version where everybody will have uh, everything they need live on screen and we'll have uh, secure platforms. Everybody who buys a ticket will get their badge, name badges, all the perks and stuff via the U.S. mail. We'll be sending all that stuff out and uh, probably doing refunds on any portion of the ticket that would normally have been used for food. Uh, because obviously, you know, unless we're going to mail you a Chicago style hot dog, we'll have to call Portillo's. But yeah. It, it's uh, it's going to be a great event, regardless of whichever way we have to do it. Uh, we may have to do a technology pivot, hopefully not. Um, but I'm sure uh, if that is the case, then uh, we'll just make it work. But we're really excited to do it. We've got uh, all of the people that I watched through my Masonic growth uh, presenters. You know, I've got Todd coming. I said I've, we've got uh, John Ruark and Jason Richards, a couple guys from TMR. We've got uh, Dago Rodriguez from the Southern California uh, Research Lodge. He's the guy who does Fraternal Review. I've got Timothy Hogan coming out, uh, who's been really gracious with his time. Several people that are that are coming. It's just gonna. Uh, I, I basically said, who like who who can I get to come out that all these people love that always continue to blow my mind anytime they have content. <laughs> so that that was kind of the impetus. So Robert, Todd, Greg, and Bill. Of the of the four of us, I am probably the one who's most heavily into esoterics. And one of the things that really fascinates me is a group of, I guess, a series of presentations you give that you call the Quantum Series. And I was just wondering if you could maybe give a, I won't say brief overview, but uh, for our listeners that may not have the opportunity to hear any of these lectures, uh, just a brief or an overview of uh, some of the ideas that you present in those. Sure, sure. So the the first talk that I ever really gave about esoterica was uh, a talk on the tetragrammaton, which is the the lost word. It's this idea that the ineffable or unknowable and it's like when somebody says imagine nothing and you can't because you can't conceptualize that. This is the term ineffable. And so what we talk about in that presentation is the word, which is supposed to be, uh, whether this is God's name or uh, a, a word of a sorts. And uh, it started off as an AMD presentation for Allied Masonic Degrees. It was a paper that was published uh, several years ago, I think in miscellanea. And I ended up giving the, the lecture to the Pennsylvania Grand Lodge's education event, which is their um, Academy of Masonic Knowledge. I've always been fascinated uh, since I was little. I grew up Roman Catholic. And then uh, when we moved to Chicago, we, we were in California. And when we moved to Chicago, 
most of the Catholic schools were in Chicago proper. And so we were far north suburbs. So I had quite a different change when my mom put me in a Lutheran academy. Uh, The difference being one is heavily mystic, right? Roman Catholicism has a very mystical element. And the Lutheran side coming to that keeps some of that mysticism, but also the library is insanely important, understanding context, historical context. And so I started to study that stuff as a, at a really young age before going to school for uh, comparative religions. And I hit my minors in mathematics. So it was a real juxtapose. Like I'm very sciencey, but I'm also very into the ideas of, of religion itself. So I started researching a lot into historical context of original Hebrew sources for things like these these words and the stories that are told. Like when we read them in Hebrew, what do they mean? Um, and I don't speak Hebrew, so I have to go through uh, a few of my old professors and teachers to ask questions. But basically, this series of lectures, what it attempts to do is to look at religious concepts and take those concepts, basically it takes these concepts and compares them to what science tells us. So mathematics in particular, everybody seems to think that scientists hate religion and religion, you know, religious people hate science. And uh, maybe there's some middle ground or something and it's, oh, they're kind of centrist, but there's never a, a, a middle line that says they're the same thing. But I think what's interesting is if you look at uh, any, uh, I hate I hate to use the term new agey or to talk about spiritualism as a religion, uh, because there's a lot of hokey stuff that happened with spiritualism as a religion, you know, in the early part of the 20th century. But but they had some really interesting goals with the more learned portion of of spiritualism, and, and those goals are that uh, religion and science, or philosophy and science, however you want to look at that, uh, are the same thing viewed through two different lenses. Uh, They both express the same problems and values through, one is through an allegory and and historical events, and the other is through the idea of, of literal science. So the first, that first one I did ended up being the second lecture. The Tetragrammaton, or the lost word, is actually the, the second part in the lecture series. The first part is called Esoterics 101. And what I cover is the idea that there are several different mystery schools outside of Freemasonry. Freemasonry is itself uh, an esoteric organization by definition. And I'll talk a little bit about in, in that presentation the uh, the, the, the single red thread that goes through all of these other mystery schools and even in religions. And it's a, it's a similar thing that goes through all of them. And then uh, so we start to expose the idea that philosophical concepts are exactly related to mathematical uh, formulas. So it sounds really dry, but it's fun. Uh, and then the second portion in in the lost word is it talks a lot about the idea that um, there's a line in scripture and the word was with God, or uh, we talk about in the Zohar, uh, it says that loosely uh, God creates all things from the hard spark, and that might be the beginning of it all, right? Is this idea of the hard spark or the Big Bang, the explosive force of the universe? And so, what if? 
the hard spark that it talks about in the Zohar is, is the expansion. And what if the word, a word is a vibration, a sound. And if you look at that scientifically, is that strings? As in string theory, the, the smallest elements outside the, the Boson-Hicks particle that, that we know about today. And then um, the, the third part is probably the most interesting in that it's called quantum entanglement and apotheosis. So quantum entanglement, I talk about, it's a mathematical or, uh, you know, in physics, uh, really, I should probably add emergent theory to the description, but uh, I talk about uh, the idea that apotheosis, this idea, most people are familiar from uh, Washington, D.C. They know the, about the apotheosis of Washington, so a man becoming deified or godlike. And so the idea is that uh, you take that particular concept and then you look at some older concepts, things like uh, Gnostic Christianity, where they talk about certain people who, are, who have mastered this kind of knowledge are able to return to the Pleroma which is the realm where the one exists. I'll say the one because I'm not sure if it's supposed to be. It's, it's a loose concept. It's, it's more like it might not be Jehovah. It might be something else. And so they return to the one, the source. And so then you think about this oneness and the, uh, the, the things that Gnostic Christianity was, was talking about, and then you look at some of the spiritualism ideas that, that really were heavy in the early. So the idea that uh, that some of the New Age stuff that was happening or the, or the spiritualism in that early part of the 20th century really talked about the idea of oneness, that Alan Watts has famously said this thing, it's like, you are the universe experiencing itself. And that's kind of the idea in a lot of those early spiritualist ideas. It's that uh, mathematically, we're all the same thing. And that there are certain scientific concepts that prove, for instance, like uh, life after death even. If I said the law of thermodynamics, a third law, that anything that's measurable or has mass can't be destroyed, right? It just changes form or shape. And so then if you can measure the human consciousness of the soul, you can't be lost with the body uh, when the body ceases to exist. So there are these, there are these blending points within the esoteric umbrella, and underneath this is there's a lot of stuff that's going on where where people say things throughout. You know, they'll, they'll buy these massive tomes that they'll read three, four hundred pages, and then at the end of it, not really sure what they just read or what's going on. They're like, oh, I read this and I thought I was going to get this massive secret. But the secret is not so much something that you can read, right? It's experiential, but I think it does boil down to a to some things that are, are really easy to understand. Well, not easy to understand, but they're, they're provable with science and physics. And that religion and philosophies tell us that those They've been they've been telling us for a long time uh, in a different language of stories that these are concepts and they're real things, and now somehow through a different lens, right? The the modern world says, "Oh, if I can't see it, I can't believe it." But the world of the spiritualist would say, "It's not seeing is believing; it's believing is seeing." And Schrodinger will agree with you. We know that's correct. 
anybody who's interested can look up something like the double slit experiment in which we know that physically viewing something changes the outcome mathematically. So there's this, there's an esoteric thread that runs through all of it and it sounds really complicated, but it's kind of not. They flew me out to, uh, there's a lodge in Southern California and I said, well, yeah, what lecture do you want me to do? And they said, all three. And I was like, uh, that's like a long time. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we cleared the whole day. So I went out and I literally gave one lecture after another with a 10 minute break in between each one. And I lectured for five and a half hours. And I just went through slides and was showing math formulas and all this stuff and um, to an audience of maybe 20 guys. But it was, uh, so it's not, it's not terribly difficult stuff. It's just trying to understand what some of our ritual is talking about. And not only our ritual, but many other schools also. So outside of Freemasonry, right, there's the Golden Dawn is, is very popular, Ordo Templi Orientis, uh, you know, whatever whatever outside organization might might be. Even, I mean, OTO, or not OTO, but Golden Dawn, that comes from Rosicrucianism. And the oldest Rosicrucianism, like, organization, quote unquote, is a Masonic one. So these schools are born out of Masonic uh, threads. And uh, they explore these things. And I'm just taking them and, and adding those esoteric concepts. And I'm putting them together with hard math and science saying, this is legitimate, so you should pay attention to it. And uh, if people want to say that they can't believe it unless it's a fact, a science, scientific fact, if Neil deGrasse Tyson doesn't say it's real, it's not real. Well, there are philosophical and religious concepts that math proves and they're real. So you should you should believe in those things. And uh, one of them is, you know, it's a, a continued exist, a continued existence and a creator. If emergent theory, for instance, tells us that. Nothing can exist without something having watched it come into existence. And if the Big Bang happened, what watched the Big Bang happen? Like, as a fundamental question. Uh, you'll get people who say, well, there are science people, atheists, who will argue with me that emergent theory isn't legitimate. They're like, oh, it's just a theory. Well, so is calculus, but you teach it. It is what it is. That's what that's about. And Robert, what strikes me about the esoteric side or Masonic con or the 300 celebration and what I find consistent in what you've done throughout all of these projects is the fundamental concept of saying you've heard the ritual, but do you understand it? Can you dig down a little bit or as deep as you want and try to understand what those words mean and then how you can apply them? I think everybody on this on our podcast here tonight, we we all know great ritualists, and there's some of them couldn't tell you from word go what those words mean. That's what I have found consistent with you, whether it's like even the Midnight Freemasons. It just doesn't matter. What you're doing is saying, let me challenge you in some way, you the, the Freemason, to look at that ritual and start to understand what it means. And that's what so many men, when they knock at the door, we're looking for anyway. And so I think these efforts, our podcast is just a microcosm of it, is designed to help people dig down and, and understand, do the research. I think most Freemasons are consumers. 
And when the lodge is over, even if you've had some 10, 15 minute education piece in the lodge, that's it. That's, you know, they're not a student of it. I think when you go back, in my opinion, to the origins of Freemasonry, it was men that were challenging themselves to learn new things. And whether they become enlightened or not, it was their source of education to explore the world. And I think if you read and listen to our ritual, it's challenging you and telling you to do that. That's That, to me, is one of our obligations. I know all five of us do that obligation. We study it and, and all in different ways. But for me, that's what you're doing through all of these efforts we've talked about tonight. It's saying, just take a few minutes and read it, study it, and go look at another source and ask another question. Because if you do, you'll learn something and you say, oh, yeah, boy, I want, I want to know more. To me, that's, that's the road the fraternity's on. It, it's a long climb up that hill. And there'll be different levels to which we all, I think, want that education and that knowledge. But I am confident that's the track we're on. I just want to applaud you for all that you have done to get us going in that direction. And it wasn't you alone by any means. I know I don't imply that, but just your energy inspires others. And, and just even hearing some of the things you talked about, what Darren asked you about with that lecture series, it's that's just so intriguing to me to want to learn more. And so I just uh, want to thank you. What we'll do is kind of wrap up here. Robert, again, I, I very much appreciate you being on and I want to pass it on to my fellow hosts here to ask any last questions and then have you uh, wrap it up for us. Yeah, thank you so much. In terms of, of what you said, if people understanding ritual and whatnot, I guess from a long, a long stance is I always, I guess, thought that that would be part of the work as being coming a Freemason is really understanding. I always thought it was weird that we just had to memorize it and we would move on. And they would say, well, you got the rest of your life to learn what it means, but we need to get you to memorize this right now, right? It hit me a few years later. We were always looking for a way to say something. And I think Todd Creason, you had uh, you had put up a meme one time and it said that Masonic education yeah, forgive me, I'm going to paraphrase this, but basically you likened it to being a car mechanic. He said, you can drive a car, but you don't know how it works. Masonic education is not you know, just driving the car, that you know how to drive the car. It would be like a mechanic knowing the ins and outs of a vehicle. And uh, that always hit home for me. And I said, yeah, that's exactly what that's exactly what it's about for me is, is understanding. Because while I might challenge somebody or like propose something, I'm not the expert. I'm just a person that reads a lot and I've put some things together. And if somebody's got something better to say, that's what I'm all about is perspective. I come back to this quote from the Master's, uh, the Master's Lectures, uh, a book written from Evans Lodge here in Illinois back in 1920s. He said, Troping or trooping through, our, through the doors of our preparation rooms, we find an ever-increasing company composed of those from whose faces is missing the stamp of high intelligence in whose eyes the torch of education has lighted no fires, and whose halting steps are led by friendly suggestion or quickened by the hope of gain. And I always thought about that thinking, man, that's really harsh. But there's a lot of people who don't ever want to dive into any of this. And I think that's that's what's lit a lot of fires. But by no means am I the person doing it. It's, you know, I, I'm just pushing forward things that, you know, when I found Todd's uh, blog piece, when I searched Freemasons and beer, Todd had a great piece about George Washington's uh, beer recipe. 
I mean, the information is there. It's about going out and finding it and, and uh, like satisfying your curiosities. And I guess that takes a little bit of work for some folks. I just have more of a statement. A few episodes back, we were trying to decide what makes the Midnight Freemasons so popular amongst the brethren. And it hit me a couple of weeks ago versus the old books, you know, from the old times and then like 19th century. A lot of those guys, when they wrote books, Masonic books, they wrote for each other. But when one of us write a piece for the Midnight Freemasons, we're writing it for other Masons, just another guy like us. And I think that's why we're so popular. We write so other guys like us can understand. And we write for what the things that they want to hear. And I don't know how you do it sometimes dealing with us. It's got to be being the editor of, of this group of guys. It's got to be like herding cats. I mean, I know sometimes you know, on our own private back channel, you'll go up there and say, hey, don't have a piece for Wednesday. Did anybody got anything? And it's, you know, you hear crickets, and but somehow you've got something to fill that void. And I don't know how you do it. I really don't. And I mean, you've done it for what, six, seven years now? I, I got to applaud you. Plus, Masonic Radio Theater. Plus, I mean, good Lord, you even go on Masonic camping trips, for God's sake. You just, I got to applaud you for your energy, for your stamina, and just for everything that you do, the Masonic Society. You know, you don't get enough praise for what you do and the keeping us going and just for all the work that you do and I just want to thank you I mean Todd did lay the groundwork with Midnight Freemasons but you paved it and you made it the road that it is that we all are riding on right now that's um Man, so so I'm so humbled by by all that. But like I said, it, it, it's a it's a community effort in terms of putting up all these pieces and things. Uh, here's what's up: is uh, I I know Todd puts up his own pieces, and they routinely get more hits than anything. <laughs> and he's got his own editing uh, source. I, I think he's got somebody who edits his his stuff. I have to edit uh, just a few of you guys. And, um, it's not hard. It's not like I'm just reading. And that's, I guess the pleasure is that's the plus side is I get to read all this stuff. And it's so amazing. Not a piece that goes up on midnight Freemasons that I haven't read. So sometimes I don't get to books. People are like, Oh, have you read this yet? No. Why not? Mm, I don't know. Cause I'm reading, you know, three articles a week, but like, you got to give a, 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 hu- a huge uh, shout out to Carolyn, Steve, Steve Harrison's wife, because I think she does some editing for him, right? So like everybody shares the burden of, of editing and, and all of that. But like I said, uh, the energy that comes from this stuff is just from working with, with top-notch talent and the ability, the privilege of uh, being in contact and, and working with you guys. Uh, I wouldn't be where I am today, and I mean this literally literally I would have gotten, I've gotten my feet in some hot water and um, there's been some Masons, you guys listening to this, maybe you're on this show, know who you are and have, uh, have helped me out many a times with counsel and, and everything else. I wouldn't be here at all without, without those people. Robert, uh, I'd like to thank you also uh, just uh, basically recap what Bill said. Not a lot of people know it, but if it weren't for you, the Midnight Freemasons would have been gone a long time ago because I was getting ready to let it go when you took it over. So we all owe you a great debt of gratitude uh, for stepping up and taking that over. And it is a lot of work, I know, because I, I did it for a long time. But the the work that you do, as you and I have talked about before, it's not so much the the writing. it's It's the people who are reading it that, that get something from it. I mean, I, I think that's the reward 
but thank you very much for all that you've done for the fraternity and 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 for the Midnight Freemasons and and programs like this one. So thank you. It's my honor, really. And just to piggyback on uh Bill and Todd, RJ, you are a rock star. I mean, whether or not you choose to believe it, uh, your your passion, your energy, your voice is much not only needed, but respected throughout the craft. Before I knew you, you were somewhat intimidating. And I say this because I remember being at a Grand Lodge and you were in the Starbucks and we actually passed each other and I knew who you were from from the podcast. And I was about to say, you know, I love the podcast or whatever. And I'm like, but he's a Masonic celebrity. I, I, I'm just going to let him, you know, enjoy his coffee or whatever. But it's been such, for me, such a, an honor to not only know that I can pick up the phone and, and bounce ideas off of you, but to have you sometimes make my incoherent ramblings coherent. So I thank you for that. I thank you for being a brother. I thank you for being a friend. And I thank you for coming on here today. You know, I love you, man. I I know many of us uh, on here also love you and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Oh, man. I love you guys, too. I do have to say, Darren, uh, your pieces that you've written are things that I have thought about often uh, when you started writing about uh, Harry Potter or when you start doing some stuff on the esoterics that happen or, or, or veins of thought, philosophical stuff that comes through in pop culture. Uh, I love it. And uh, speaking of, you guys should all check out Darren's piece he wrote in uh, Fraternal Review. He just got published in uh, Southern California Research Lodges magazine. So congratulations, Darren. That's awesome. Thank you. It's the uh, first time I've been published. So uh, I was pretty blown away. And then Dago sent me a hard copy of it. And I sent him a thank you note. Uh, hope, I think it went out today. So hopefully he'll get that. And uh, yeah, I was. Uh, I didn't even honestly know until I saw his Facebook post and uh, just completely humbled by the experience yeah it's a great magazine and um yeah you did a great job i I got to read it uh before it was published and i was like oh man this is so cool so yeah it was awesome nice job rj thanks again we're gonna wrap up this episode of meet act in part we really appreciate you being on especially appreciate all of our listeners we uh if you're not familiar with rj's work you can google search whence came you podcast I know it comes out about 9 or 9.30 on Sunday nights every week, or at least 50 weeks a year. Also on Thursday nights at 8.30 Central, I believe he's on the Masonic Roundtable with some other great guys. And uh, again, my sincere thanks for being on, and we'll sure talk to you soon. And all of our listeners, make sure you turn in uh, again soon for another exciting episode of Meet, Act, and Part.